Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Grimm. He, him, Don Lister, she, her, and today's guest, Tanya Mikvitz, she, her. Welcome, Tanya. We are delighted to have you. This is my first time of meeting you, so lovely to meet you. You are a colleague and friend of Daniel's, so it's a lovely reunion for you too. Um, Tanya is a yoga teacher, a soul guide mentor. I'm dying to hear more about that lives in London and is author of the books Theming Skills for Yoga Teachers, which sounds um, delicious and like an incredibly useful tool for, um, for all of us um, as we create our, our classes and workshops going forward. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation around the book, what made you write it and how we can use it in our own practices. So, Daniel, how are you? What's been going on for you in the past few days, past week? Tell me your news. Hi, Dawn, and hi, Tanya. Lovely to be here with you both. Um, I um, I don't know if I told you, I don't know if I told you, Dawn, actually, but I joined a choir a couple of months mm-hmm. ago. And um, the reason that I joined it, there was a couple of reasons. One, I was, I was, I was really suffering with low mood. And I just couldn't seem to shift the kind of that the feeling of just feeling a bit stuck. And I wanted to do something outside of yoga and the yoga modalities because I just feel like I've spent a lot of time in yoga, in the studio, talking about yoga, being a yoga therapist, supervising others. You know, it was it was feeling quite sort of cluttered and I just wanted something that had nothing to do with yoga at all. <laughs> so um, a good friend of Dawn and mine, who's a um, amazing singer called Maria Naylor, and she's a yo- she's a sound therapist as well. But um, for those listening, and Tanya, you probably best know her if you went raving in the 90s because she had a massive hit with Robert Miles. <laughs> That's what she's really famous for. <laughs> but um, she just holds this amazing choir in, in our local town called Four and Twenty Blackbirds. And, and, and Maria is very, she's a, she's a proper sort of mother of the earth, isn't she, though? And she, you know, she really, she really um, loves the idea of like the seasons and really nurturing people. Um, and the songs that we sing are kind of modern pop and folk music. So it's just, there's something just really lovely about communing with a large group of people. I mean, last night there was over 30 of us there and we're preparing to sing um, Southend's Winter Pride in a couple of weeks. So we've kind of picked some songs that, you know, have a sort of queer theme to them. Um, My favourite one being Bronsky Beat, Small Town Boy, Um, (laughs) which just sounds... I was literally, I nearly cried last night. I was just like, there's 30 people singing this song and it just sounds absolutely amazing. And Maria Maria kind of indirectly knows Jimmy Somerville, so she's going to record it and send it to him and ask him for feedback. (laughs) So it was just, I I just love it. It's just a way for me to just step out of my life. And weirdly, because it's in our local town, I do know lots of people sort of indirectly, but I don't have to talk about work. We just go there and we just sing for an hour and a half and then we say our goodbyes and then everyone just disappears again for another week. And it's just, yeah, I just love it. There's something really communal and very heartwarming about that for me. So that's what I've been doing. That's where I've come from. (laughs) How have you been keeping Dawn? Yeah, I'm good. I'm a bit tired today because um, I'm too busy, um, which is bad scheduling on my part. So I'm feeling a little like... You know, when you look in your diary and you think, when am I going to get a break? So we booked a spa break for the day after our Living Well with Kindness event that we're running um, in March. I'm really excited about that. But the day after we're going to a spa, I've never been to a spa. I've always said, oh, I fancy going to spa. Um, So we've booked this really nice place. I've no idea where it is is but we've booked it anyway and I'm gonna you know swim and someone's gonna feed me and make my bed and I'm gonna walk around the gardens I'm not having a massage because they start at 115 pounds like 
what on earth? What's, what, what did they do for you for £115? Like, they're like four of them or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I just need to leave my phone in the drawer and have a rest and be looked after really well. And yeah, we've been, um, we've had the storms, haven't we? These bad storms. And um, I'm sure this, this will go out after the storms, as we know, but I, I love a storm. So I keep going down to the seafront and standing and uh, letting the storm sort of like blow me around. I think it's hilarious. Um, yeah, so we've, my, all of my gardens in my cabin currently, which is my lovely she shed where I go and draw and paint and potter around. So I can't even get in. I literally have to climb over furniture to get in there. So I'm, now that everything's calming down, I'm looking forward to bringing it out and getting back in there and getting creative. Like that creative thing's really important to me. It's really interesting. I make a lot of stuff, but I don't ever show it to anybody and I quite often don't finish it because it's really about the process of going in and like writing a poem or just making a mark or half finishing anything. And there's something about not having to finish it that feels, I like that bit. Some kind, something about that process feels important to me. So there's, you know, when I pop my clogs one day, someone's going to open that and find like 10,000 half finished projects <laughs> that'll go on a skip and there'll be a huge fire and celebration of my life or something. Um, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to getting back in there, emptying it out and doing something creative again because I've not really been able to for quite a few weeks. So yeah, feeling good, but tired, a bit tired. What about you, Tanya? How are you? How has your week been? Um, yeah, good. I think I think I need to hang out more with you two because I'm loving the sound of of singing and going to spa. So I could do both of those right now. So uh, it's great to be here with both of you. Um, yeah, I think this is. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that this will go out after you know in a few months' time, but at the moment, really feeling the season of like coming to the end of winter, and um, and being with what that is, and being with the invitation that we still need to take it slow. And I also feel that it's so easy to overwhelm with you know getting the diary full and saying yes to everything and to to kind of not conserve energy then you know when I need to so um, I'm also feeling somewhat tired I will um, fully be present with that and just sort of thinking about that how it's a continuous learning process to really look after myself as well and uh, and I think that as yoga teachers you know this is the thing we're very good at looking after everybody else and still learning to do it for ourselves quite often but yeah but I'm in good spirits and really happy to be in your company <laughs> I found the um storms that we had um really exhausting I've kind of because it, it didn't actually it started didn't it you know sort of Friday and it's continued until Monday, it was still going. Yesterday, we had quite bad flooding in Southend and Leoncy and Westcliff area because the tide and the wind hit at the same time. So a lot of the front was shut and was actually underwater, like just low level water. It wasn't didn't do an awful lot of damage. But I was saying to Dawn on Friday and Saturday, I just feel like I was sitting in my house, very very fortunate to have somewhere that I felt safe within from the storm but just being aware every time the wind blew I could hear things moving or shifting <laughs> or could see things in my garden being damaged <laughs> which I've just spent the last 18 months doing <laughs> I just I've, I feel quite exhausted from it it's been yeah I, I, I've said still before we come onto the podcast I got up I did a meditation I did yoga nidra and then I went back to sleep again for another hour because I was just, I'm, I'm flat at the moment. You know, it's just, it's really, it's unbelievable how the weather can have such a dramatic effect on us. It really is. You're right. And yet I love it. I love a storm. It just, it energizes me. It feel, I feel like it, it like, it changes something. It feels like it breaks a pattern for me. Like clear stuff out. Um, and, but say, interestingly, though, you say that yesterday was my day off, although it didn't work out to be a day off at all. But I did go and do a two hour yoga nidra. 
I just I set myself up in my bed with like dozens of cushions, a hot water bottle, a blanket, and the dog. And I listened to a yoga nidra, and then I woke up and I was on my third one. It just they just kept going, and I just slept straight through. And the doorbell went. And it was my mechanic because my car battery had died a week ago, and I can't even get into the car. What's so embarrassing though is he came and got into it straight away. He said, "You're turning the key the wrong way." Because I've always done it with the, you know, the button and it just opens and I, I haven't had a car, for, but the battery's dead. And apparently that's the weather when it's cold, it drains your battery. Who knew? But I, I went to the door with like my sleep mask on and my hair sticking up everywhere. I was like, I was doing a yoga and you drop. And was like, I don't know what that is, but can I have your car key, please? <laughs> so maybe I was tired by those storms as well, despite being energized. Anyway, enough about our shenanigans. Let's get to the point where we, why we're here. So Tanya, tell us about what brought you to writing the book, Theming Skills for Yoga Teachers, please. Well, it was a few things really. Um, the, the first part of it is that some years before there was, I contributed a chapter to a book uh, called, oh my gosh, here <laughs> I've gone blank. It's um, it's oh Daniel, help me out. I, I I know the person's name who wrote it. It's Sean O'Neill. Is yeah, that right? Sean yeah. O'Neill's the yeah. editor who. Uh, Let me Google it. <laughs> you keep talking. It's the teaching guide for yoga teachers that has several chapters in it. Written by Sean, got you know lots of different teachers to contribute with their sort of specific skills so I had a chapter in there and uh, then some years later Sean approached me and she said we would like to create a series of books would you be interested in writing one and simultaneously in the past few years I've been teaching workshops uh, around theming skills for yoga teachers so this was really material that uh, I'd been working on and working with people on and sort of refining over the years and it's it's very much part of uh what I enjoy doing like I I love working with yoga teachers and I love the creative process as well around you know in teaching and I also love offering a, a space where others can really find their own unique way of of teaching and find their voice and also sort of tap into inspiration that comes both from the inside and how to tap into inspiration you know in those moments when we're uh when we're flat ah you found it the yoga teaching handbook yes uh was the the first book in the in the series and then i think there was one for yoga practitioners as well that also had uh different authors different chapters by different authors and then now there is this series of, of shorter books, which mine is one of, yeah. So would you like to tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your journey into yoga and what made you start yoga and what's made you carry on with yoga for, yeah. you know, over 20 years, I think you were saying. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, my first yoga class that I ever went to was in 2000 and um, what took me to it was I, I'd been given a book about yoga that I'd sort of looked through. I thought it seemed interesting and really I've always loved movement. So I used to dance in my teens and, and then through the years I was trying to find things, you know, like start going and doing something like going to the gym, but then I'd get bored because it felt like there wasn't like a a greater purpose, I guess, you know, with dance, there's a sense that you're doing something else than just, you know, it's not just for exercise or moving. So then I was like, oh, well, this yoga thing sounds interesting. And I, I'll never forget the first class I went to, I went to this small studios, Globe House in Borough, um, in, in London. And it was at the time, it was in an attic sort of converted flat and it was lunchtime. And it was like me and one other person. The other person was the husband of the teacher. <laughs> and uh, it was an Iyengar class. And I just, rem I remember one being like in Uttanasana, standing forward fold and my thighs shaking. And I was like, they're shaking uncontrollably what's happening. But then really the, 
the extraordinary thing was lying in Shavasana and I just had like a completely transformative experience of feeling like I was home. Mm -hmm. And and just it was like this sort of disbelief that I I I come into a state that was like home and so familiar and yet it was so new and it was like oh my gosh this is the feeling that I've been looking for but I had no idea you know one that I was looking and that I was looking in the wrong places you know so it it very quickly became you know like I was like hooked you know I was like okay so twice a week you know I'll go to class and then it was three times a week and then I was just like more and more curious and it just really took me uh took me on this journey yeah what do you think was happening for you when you first lay in shavasana I hear this a lot from people we speak to you know they they go to the class and they enjoy the physical aspect of the asana obviously you know it's great for your body it strengthens you it brings balance there's a lot more to say around actually about the embodied stuff that's happening in that moment but I'm curious about you say it was when I lay in shavasana I felt like I was coming home could, could you say a little bit more about what that meant for you I you know I for me I think what I'm speaking to is really beyond words, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it is the experience of, of the thing that we have different terminology for. Is it grace? Is it the divine? Is it union? Is it being at one? I don't know, you know, like I have my own language around that. Um, but definitely that it was something about it's, it's the experience of, of being beyond this limited experience of this body, this mind, this circumstance. And in that moment being also liberated, right? Mm-hmm. And connecting to, actually it makes me think of, because I've been, we were just talking about the weather and the storms. And this week I've been uh, teaching, you know, obviously that comes into you walk into class and everybody's completely windswept. And it made me think of this really famous quote by Pema Chodron, uh, of, and I'll probably misquote, but the gist is, you know, we are the sky, everything else is just the weather. Mm. And that's, you know, pictures it so beautifully because I think what happened in that moment is I understood that I am the sky. Mm. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I love that quote. I love I love Pema, quite a wonderful teacher. The that, That's interesting. That's what I often say at the very end of Shavasana in my classes. I'll say, we aren't our body. We aren't our mind. We aren't our experience. We are the watcher of all. And on some level, I, I hope that people have a sense of that. Maybe at first it might sound a bit like, what? What's happening? But actually, it's an invitation to to rest in that space of observing, you know, that, you know, and, and when we're in that space, it's so expansive, isn't it? It's like, even if it's just for a moment, just for a half a breath or something, just to come out of that projection and that constant striving. I think for me, that's what happens in those moments is we're no longer striving. We're meeting ourselves in the moment. We're truly present. And that's such a wonderful um, thing to be able to offer people. Yeah, I I am convinced that that is whether it's conscious or not is why people come back to practice because yeah. those glimpses and they might be ever so brief and not necessarily in the moments when you expect it. You know, it mm. might not be in shavasana. Shavasana can be confronting for many and difficult and challenging. Yeah. It might be like in your triangle. It might be in your child's pose. But that that I I absolutely feel like that is the 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 place we come to return to Mm, beyond it's you know fits in with our schedule and (laughs) it's in the right location and whatever you know yeah yeah absolutely i um really enjoyed reading your book tanya because um it felt like it was a way as a yoga teacher that you can be educated or reminded about 
the vastness of what the yoga practice has to offer. <laughs> and I really felt that come across in a very simplistic way in your book, but with lots of depth behind it. And I really loved the way that you talked about theming a class, which, as we know, could be half an hour, could be 45 minutes, could be an hour, could be a whole day, could be a week's retreat. You know, the 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 what what you've offered in your book is a way for someone who has experience of being a yoga teacher to be able to think about the depth of what we're offering as a yoga practice because it is so deep and i love i love the way that you set a structure but it didn't need to be structured in that way you can take bits of it you can leave bits of it but fundamentally it's about think about beyond the obvious what is it that you're putting into your practice and why are you doing it what's the intention what's the bath as you as the words that you use in the book behind why you're doing this and then think about the the beauty of that toolbox of yoga and all of the different elements that you can pull from to be able to allow that theme not to just become like a bookend at the start and the end, but be weaved through every single motion and action within that practice. And I felt it was such an intellectual and such a clever way of reigniting passion for many people where we feel, and particularly, you know, speaking for myself, I'm so aware there's so much yoga out there that feels very one note, it's all about asana and then a little bit of lying down or sitting at the end. And it hasn't got this depth and this quality to it, which for me is what I go and look for when I, when I'm looking for a teacher myself. Um, and it, uh, it'd be really useful to hear about the theme in Lotus that you put together. Um, Cause that really, uh, that for me felt really a, a very clear way of thinking about, the practice and how it could be broken up. So would you like to speak about that a little bit more? Sure, sure. Uh, and first of all, thank you. Thank you for what you've just said. It means a lot. I mean, this is really like was my 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 highest wish that that you know that what I offered would be received in in this way. Um, and yeah, the so the theming lotus, which is really sort of the holds the structure of the book and also the 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 ideas i guess of of how i approach teaching a class um it it's sort of i think it just it came it came about because i'm a very visual person and i also love you know the imagery of a lotus in so many different ways so the idea is that that at the core of of um the core of teaching a class that we would have this the the theme that we just sell something that we want to to teach and then uh, and that's at the the center of the lotus and then we we have all these petals of which are the different parts of the practice and the tools really that we're given in the tradition that we can then sort of add to it and that if we start to think around all of those we 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 start to have a more integrated practice and and i do think you know that we it's so easy to fall into just teaching asana um which is not necessarily like i'm not saying that's a bad thing it's a wonderful thing asana is beautiful but but in the west very much yoga becomes synonymous with just asana and it's a bit of a tricky place to be because one then that means that's the expectation as well so as a teacher say if you go and teach in a gym you know that there'll be an expectation of what you're teaching. So it's a bit of a sort of catch 22 sometimes is how do we move beyond that? But I, I believe that there are ways. And if we start to allow ourselves to think beyond us, and we can also bring it in in different ways that are very meaningful. Um, so the different petals around the lotus is the asana, the pranayamas we can use, the meditation, uh, using mantras, using mudras, using inspiration, uh, from texts, sacred texts, 
uh, I think I might have some other things in there. But anyway, that we have all these different petals, not just asana, right? The, the lotus has many beautiful petals. And as we theme, if we start to think about what, which of those tools we would use and say which uh, pranayama we might use to strengthen the theme or which mantra would go well with the theme, even in the process of, of feeling into that, even if we don't even end up teaching it in the class, means that we are really grounded in what we're teaching. And for me, teaching yoga has always been, well, not teaching even, like pulling it back from that, practicing yoga has always been, it's, it's a life practice, right? It's, it's about how I live, right? It informs how I live it helps me live, you know, the practices are for life rather than for the mats or the cushion, you know, the meditation cushion, right? Those are the places we practice and then hopefully what we learn and what we understand, we can apply to life. So with theming classes, it's about bridging that gap for me. And then so many tools that we can use within it to enhance that understanding. That makes Absolutely. Yeah, it really I, does. I, yeah. And, and I would just say that for me, I wouldn't, I would not have been teaching yoga for this long if it wasn't about like a deeper understanding of life really and existence and being human and, and being divine and, and, and offering a space for us to, to be with that, being present with all of that, what that means, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, really, I, I love the way that you, you know, you, you give a structure of how you can set up your class or thing that you're working upon. And then actually, you know, you've then got into really think about the different areas of philosophy, mythology, subtle body, your personal stories, or as we've actually been talking about at the start of the podcast, the natural cycles of, of the earth, you know, and how they can be interwoven using that kind of lotus petal flower idea of, you know, taking aspects of that, but allowing actually one theme to run through that. And, and I loved what you said in the book that you could spend the rest of your life just teaching on yoga sutras and theming them, you know, that, that, you know, that in itself, you know, you, you could spend the next lifetime really studying that, which is, the whole point of why the yoga sutras are there aren't they you know they're not a pick up and put down they're something that we keep going back to as we evolve and change as people as teachers as practitioners and i just love that idea that this this way of teaching conti will continue to evolve you but gives you a really solid grounding in 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 the subject that you're talking about yeah and i think you know, it's it, it can be as teachers and, and many teachers out there teach a lot. And, and, and it's also, you know, we have the sort of real kind of <laughs> the real um, part of yoga teaching. It might be a lot of commuting. It might be, you know, and you can also run dry. And what I hope with the book uh, is to, you know, it just that it might be a source. It got, might give some little nuggets that help you to return to a way of staying inspired you know, because there is so much, I mean, within the tradition itself, you know, in the, through the, you know, if you, you, the Bhagavad Gita, same thing, you know, if you return to it, you will be revived in, you know, oh, this is why, I, you know, we just need reminders sometimes, like, why am I doing this? You know, like, what is it I'm doing? Um, and that hopefully I've given some ideas of the sources of inspiration as well for those moments when you might be a bit like, oh, what <laughs> you know i've got to teach class again what am i going to do you know and often when we start with a little bit of curiosity or just get one idea it sort of sets us off and then then we find the juice again you know find the... absolutely yeah and i think you know what i was really what i really enjoyed about was the the way that the the book felt very accessible so you didn't necessarily even if you were maybe really new to yoga teaching or maybe you'd had a sort of you know you'd had a practice and you was maybe thinking about going 
deeper into that practice how this could be modeled for a home practice as well you know it doesn't have to be for yoga teachers it could just be oh you know i've been practicing yoga 20 years you know i've been going to class for a long time and maybe i want to learn more myself it felt very accessible that you know you didn't necessarily have to have the teaching skills to pick up what what the what the barb of this book was about because it was actually about inspiration and about you know pulling from all these different areas of of the yoga tradition what what i found really interesting which you know comes up time and time and time again in our podcast was your mention in the book about needing to continue to learn ourselves and we met quite a few years ago on a on a teacher training program of not teacher training like an intensive program with a teacher in london and i'd be interested to hear from your perspective about what you look for in a yoga teacher because actually i think that's really useful for people to be able to hear because it's so easy to get dragged in by marketing isn't it and actually it's so beyond the marketing <laughs> yeah um that's really it's a really good question and uh it, it makes me sort of think is there something that i particularly speak um i am very much led by my gut often you know like i, I will have a, a gut you know and i think also finding a teacher is a very kind of personal thing you know like you I think it's 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 hard to know until you're really in somebody's presence and maybe it's also dependent on what the teacher is for right because I think teachers come in many different ways and dis and guises and for different particular things so perhaps one of the ways to to know the right teacher is to know what you're looking for right so are you it's very different if you're looking for us uh, uh, you know are you looking for in the more traditional sense a guru a spiritual teacher are you looking for a teacher who will help you with a specific thing like oh i need some more anatomy knowledge you know who's the best person to go to for this or you know so or do you just want somebody who's you know going to be more accessible they don't have a massive following or the trainings will be smaller you know and so so i think it depends and and i guess also this is one of the you know the things that we come back to is like do we need one teacher do we need lineage do we not need a lineage you know these are really big questions to to sit with and i don't have i don't particularly have any answers but i think it's important to sit with these questions um i think you can also look at you know a teacher see who their teachers are what's you know are they do they come from a tradition specific tradition uh are they students themselves i think this is is probably one of the really important things i would say um is there a sense that there is um a humility that it's really about the teachers uh, teachings rather than the teacher you know uh, if you can feel into that because often you know it becomes about the, the person or the personality more than specifically with yoga there is you know the, the tradition is so rich and there is so much there so we want somebody who has access to that and to impart that and pass it, pass it on. There's, um, there's a saying, isn't there, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I kind of feel like our teachers show up all the time and not necessarily in class. You know, you spoke earlier in your, when you were discussing your, the Lotus theme about, um, I can't remember the exact words, so you'll have to correct me, but about bringing, you know, what you personally need into the room, you know, when you're doing, you're do, when you're offering and you're building a class, what, what does, what do you, what, what else is going on? What else is needed for that person? You know, so someone may come into a class with some trauma or some holding some grief or feeling a bit stuck um 
And, you know, we have opportunities to weave a huge amount of learning into class and into workshops and retreats um, that allows people to be supported. And I think if we can enable people in class to self-inquire, you know, and to become self-aware, then that opportunity is available to them in the grocery store, at the petrol pump, in their families. Could you perhaps speak a little around what you meant around that stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I can't remember exactly what I said, but just sort of continuing on from what you said, and I, I absolutely, and I think this actually comes into also, you know, when it comes to like finding a teacher, you know, do you find a teacher who is actually empowering you on your journey, right? So that, because ultimately you could say that yoga is a practice of self-mastery, right? You know, it's not, it's not about doing what somebody else tells you to do. It's about starting to really tap into that wisdom within, which is there. It's in all, it's not exclusive, right? It's in everybody. But we also live in a culture where we are not encouraged to tap into it, right? We, are, we, we conform to something else. We bypass our own understanding. We bypass our own uh, intuition and, and kind of inner knowing. And I absolutely believe that the practices can help us to return to that. And that is my wish, you know, is to, to hold a space where where students are encouraged to to really listen to themselves right because the body will speak to you right your mm -hmm. energy body will speak to you uh your inner guidance system the divine you know if you want to use that terminology i mean i happen to be <laughs> quite comfortable with those terms but you know the universe the divine you know will speak to you if you so i what i hope more than anything is that i can hold the space my wish is to hold a space where that is becoming more accessible to anybody who joins me in class you know, i you know i as a teacher i can't know what's what's best for uh, anybody else but if i can offer tools that will open up that that communication with uh, with the wisdom within then you know i would hope for that something you just said really rung a bell within me because this is where i see the dichotomy of teaching yoga in the west is is that we have societal ways that we're taught <laughs> and controlled in certain ways and then we've got practices like yoga, meditation, and lots and lots of other practices that are telling us to, to, to listen within. And we, we do that by becoming regular students of these practices. And then it creates pain and suffering because we recognize actually what we're being fed is, is not the truth it is you know it's there to manipulate or control people in a certain way and and I within my practice at this moment in time I'm I'm really feeling that kind of you know that polarization and that pull between I'm I, I'm I'm at the moment I'm really struggling to actually find a teacher who can really understand what I need from a queer person's perspective. And that is really, that's really, you know, and I keep, I keep sort of putting myself in situations and learning with people. And the biggest thing that I'm finding a struggle at the moment is so many of those people, I haven't actually met them. So I don't want to put my trust in them because they're online. And it's mm -hmm. like, there's some, there's, there's kind of this dichotomy between, you know, the the social conditioning <laughs> that, that we all experience, my personal needs, and then actually realizing that I'm probably never going to get to even meet these people that I might be investing a lot of time and money in. And to me, that feels really important because all of my teachers up until the pandemic 
I've known them, you know, I've been able to look in their eyes and actually see, you know, rather than it being on a screen. And yeah, I'm, I'm in that whirlpool at the moment, where, you know, I don't know where to turn. And I think, you know, that what your book reminded me of is actually, you know, I need to go back and I need to, I need to really assess the approach that these people are having. And also he's made me realize that actually from my teaching perspective, I need to bring more of my queerness through and into that <laughs> because the place that Dawn and I are so fortunate to be privileged to be able to be the guardians of isn't a very queer space. You know, I created a queer space within it because I needed it myself and I know other people needed it. But actually it feels like there's almost this kind of like I water myself down in some way <laughs> when I'm not in that queer space to be able to be accepted by society. So then that whirlpool starts again is actually I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being someone that actually isn't me <laughs> because that's what I think the students want or the clients want. And I'm fine. Yeah. That, that keeps going around, whether it's I'm looking for teachers, whether it's I'm in class, whether it's such a, it's such an interesting thing. And I've been sitting with it for such a long time. However, I know the more I sit with it, the more it will start to make sense. <laughs> Sorry, I went on a, on a complete tangent there. But actually, you know, when I was reading your book, it reminded me, no, I need to put more queerness back into the teaching that I'm doing. <laughs> well, that's, that's great, you know. And I think I really, you know, I, I think what you just shared is, is really profound. And I think that will touch many of us in different ways as well. And that we are you know, and sitting with it, you know, this is what we have to do. We have to sit with these really complex dilemmas and, and questions and experiences, right? So, because it's not on, it's not a mental dilemma, it's a very real embodied experience, right? Mm -hmm. And of something, you know, where are we, you know, what aligns, what doesn't align? What do we experience from the inside and what is coming at us from the outside? Mm -hmm. I, truly believe that when we really lean into the practices of yoga they are radical and revolutionary in the society that we live in absolutely and at the same time a lot of yoga is practiced in a way that just completely reinforces all the conditionings and norms right in quotation marks that we have and are more damaging than helpful because of that and, and, and that that is really, like you say, it's a dichotomy and it's a dilemma that we exist within. And that is, you know, um, more or less harmful depending on where we are within it. But, but um, uh, yeah, very real. And I experience that too and, and sit with that and, and what it means, you know, mm -hmm. personally and collectively, you know, and, and how do we meet it? Just want to, I want to thank you for sharing that, Daniel. I think it was really honest of you, and clearly you've sat with it a lot to have such clarity. And I, you know, just as your friend and business partner, I hope we can work together to, you know, enable that to be more a part of who we are as a community, you know, within our studio. Um, you mentioned earlier. Um, Tanya speaking about you know the tools that we could offer to allow this self-inquiry that kind of really jumped out to me and I thought what what maybe you could just say a few words around what kind of tools you're talking about for the teachers and, and practitioners who are listening to the podcast because I think when we start a training I think if there's humility there when you first begin to teach you understand you know so little really you've just you've literally just turned the first page and there's so much of a and it's such an overused word but a journey to then go on you know as a teacher and as a individual who's hopefully going to be using the practices to come home to be more present in the world to be more compassionate to work through their traumas and their conditionings could you 
you know, say just a few words about what the tools are you're speaking of? Well, I think what I was just referring to you know, generally in terms of tools is like the different tools within yoga, which is, you know, as well as our asana practice, pranayama practices, meditation practices, mantra. I think mantra is interesting because we were talking about singing right at the beginning. And I, for many years, I used mantra meditation. And then when I came more to working with Sianna, Sianna Sherman and Rasa Yoga, we do a lot of chanting. And I've, I've had the story that, you know, I can't sing probably still have that story so so the threshold of starting to chant more than om was quite big and then that for me personally has been very healing practice and there's something different about chanting mantra the meditation you know mantra meditation is a different you know also the most powerful practice of course but that you know so that's been a big big part of my journey and i think uh, with mantra sort of really connecting to the heart mm -hmm. and, and um and finding a different, but but also using the voice, you know? So I think using the voice, uh, and obviously we do that as teachers, but there's something very healing about using the voice. In fact, I, I'm going off on a tangent, but I'm just gonna roll with it. But in teacher, you know, many people come to teacher training and they actually don't wanna be yoga teachers. They might have full on, you know, many of the people who've done teacher training with me have full on careers, they don't intend to teach. But I think something about using your voice in teaching is also incredibly healing, you know, mm -hmm. because it's about taking up space. It's about voicing your truth, you know, finding your voice mm -hmm. um, and, and expressing yourself as authentically you. Mm -hmm. And that's the heart of also this journey, you know, whether as mm -hmm. practitioners and as teachers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so the tools within the yoga tradition um, also contemplating on, on scripture and so on. And then, you know, for me, I, I, I do also shadow work. That's part of, of my journey. I feel like, um, the, the, the human piece is also an important one and that, uh, or the human conditioning and, and our own story really. Um, mm -hmm. and, that for me part of showing up as a teacher and and holding that space i i feel i also need to be accountable within that so i need to kind of work on my stuff the stuff that i won't necessarily reach uh through meditation practice or through asana practice you know that mm -hmm. yeah as, as um I, I want you i just wanted i wanted something you said really made me think of something which was a bit of an aha moment for me so I'm going to share it but then I also want you to say a few words about what what is shadow work because I'm not sure everybody will necessarily understand that fully but you were speaking about it being a voice it giving you a voice and for me teaching was very much about being allowed to be heard that was a huge thing for me I grew up in in a cult I wasn't allowed because I was a woman to speak I wasn't allowed to you know speak to to the congregation I had to speak through people I wasn't allowed I had to always whatever a, a man said even if it was just a child as I became an adult and they were male I had to you know always be submissive so a big part of teaching became a healing for me so about being able to you can be at the front of a room and hold people's attention and you can have be listened to and that's okay and it's not a bad thing you're not I really struggled with feeling like I needed I was never humble enough you know who are you to say who are you but then what was interesting as time went by that became almost a form of punishment so that I was able to say what I needed to say and, and hold space but without any care for myself so over years it became just a constant giving 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 and now putting back into myself and so using the tools you speak of, of self-inquiry, you know, slowing down enough to listen to, well, what am I feeling right now? You know, why am I doing 25 classes a week? Why am I running endless trainings? What, 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 what about me? And I was like, and it wasn't until I slowed down enough to listen in my deeper meditations, that I was like, oh my goodness, you're harming yourself with your teaching. So it's so interesting, isn't it? The, um, when we self-inquire and we pause and listen, 
we learn a huge amount about what our current experience is. And, and if we aren't doing that, then the class that we're offering is not coming from the healthiest place, actually, speaking from my experience. You know, so when you said that, I just it kind of had this little moment like, gosh, that's really what was happening. I was harming myself for a long time in a way of in the way of trying to heal myself by like, look, my voice is here. My voice is here. Listen, listen. And now in a much more resolved and integrated space, I don't feel that need any longer. I'm very much a teaching is about an offering and a sharing versus a listen to me. <laughs> it's completely different. And that's the beauty of the healing that's happened through the practice. So I thought I'd share that. But the the um, could you speak a little bit about what shadow work is, perhaps for people who don't understand or haven't heard of it? Yeah, so I do shadow work with my teacher is uh, Robert Augustus Masters. He's based in, in the US and has written several, several books. But really, the, the concept of shadow is about the parts of us that we have rejected don't want to look at or pushing away find that are ugly or you know that or and then become unconscious of and mm -hmm. um and then what tends to happen is that the stuff that we push away actually controls us but in an mm -hmm. unconscious way so mm -hmm. we are not honoring our anger or we're not uh skilled at at uh, processing or uh, expressing anger in a in a healthy way then we might push it repress it but it's going to come out it's going to like pop out somewhere else um so shadow work is really about tending to those parts and for me it's like well this is you know this is yoga really because yoga is about the, the wholeness the integration of all parts of our being of welcoming ourselves home but we can't welcome ourselves home if we decide that oh you know and this i feel this happens so much in the sort of yoga world, the yoga industry, you know, it's like, oh, love and light and happy beings. And, oh, you know, I get students, you know, I remember students coming to me and being like, well, you don't ever get angry, do you? You know, like having this idea that somehow once you practice yoga, you're just gonna be like floating on a cloud and, and always be content. And you're never gonna, you know, be angry or disappointed or frustrated or have road rage and all those things. And I think it's quite important to kind of go, well, you know, this is part of our humanity. And in fact, if we look at, you know, the understanding of, of Shakti, of, of how emotions move, you know, the, the, the Rasa theory, for instance, you know, that we have like these nine basic ways that the, the Shakti moves through us as emotion and then, you know, that this is all part of, it's a natural part of, of who we are in an embodied form. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how do the emotions move? And can they move in a way that is, that, that keeps flowing, that we don't get stuck in it, mm -hmm. and that it expresses itself in a healthy way, rather than in a way that is harmful, whether to ourselves or to others, right? So no feeling, no emotion is negative. Like anger has its place, right? Anger mm -hmm. can get things done. But if anger becomes aggression, then it's a different thing. But if we're not turning towards, you know, this is very much part of the healing journey. If we have wounds that rule us, you know, they, they can express themselves in harmful ways to other people. And, and as a teacher, I feel it's quite important, especially when you're dealing with students and you're going deeper, is that you understand in the dynamic that plays out what's your stuff, you know? that I have an awareness of what my trigger points are, you know, and I don't say that I'm not saying that I do, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm showing up to work with those as much as I can. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, that's definitely a, a big part of my, my practice. Well, thank you. That, that's really helpful. And I think the last thing you said, particularly is like, I'm showing up for myself. And I think as teachers, we've got to show up for ourselves, don't we? We've got to do that shadow work ourselves. Because if we haven't done it and aren't doing it and aren't processing, then we can't hold that space in class that allows people to be able to do that themselves. If we haven't done that work, then it isn't going to be safe in the room for everybody else to explore in the way that perhaps they need to. Uh, thank you so much for all your wonderful sharing. I'm mindful of our time as things um, as we are coming to the close of our um discussion and I know that you wanted to share something with us would you like to say what that is 
Uh, sure. Is uh, now a good time? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's I. Uh, well, I just brought in. It's it's a prayer, really, and and I. Uh, that is not by me. It's uh, from a book called Prayers of Honoring. Uh, the author is Pixie Lighthorse. And uh, the reason I chose it is because for me, the journey of yoga has really been a spiritual one, not because I was looking for it. <laughs> right. So through the embodied practice, the experiential part became really um, finding the divine. Uh, this is how the closest I can express it in words, that thing that we already spoke about, which you can't really express in words. And uh, this prayer is uh, called the honoring divine presence in all things, which speaks to me of how, what yoga can do, right? What the practice of yoga uh, offers. Thank you for this bright day. Thank you for putting out the call to come home to you. Help us sing your songs of love and devotion to our understanding of you loud and clear. Help us write those that live inside of us, remaining unspoken and unsung. Remind us that they are there because you are there. Let these illuminated occurrences, these brief seeings and believings be a map of our self-knowledge and self-trust, as well as reflective of our faith in your magic. Show us everything that is beautiful and also help us to appreciate that which is furthest from beautiful for the lessons that accompany it. Let nothing be lost on us. Make us your sensitive trackers, seeking truth and finding it tucked away in the unexpected. Let us channel your pure energy so that we can feel you in everything. Show us how to bring it in as often as possible, providing us with reserves for staying fueled for human tasks. Remind us that time spent with you is what recharges us best. Draw sacred hearts on our souls, leaving us with no question about your lovability or value. Show us that you are here in every lily, lake, and lover. Help us recognize your unconditional love. We promise to let it ripple out far beyond us once we connect with it. Lead us into a practice of valuing our serenity above all else, so that we may learn the true meaning of conserving what is precious. Help us to agree on what that is. Teach us how to walk through the world consuming less and caring more about the spirit that lives in everything. Show us how to be generative and not deplete ourselves nor others' energies. Thank you so much for sharing that. Really, really beautiful words. Um, what we'll do is we'll put that book in the show notes as well so people can refer back to it and read it for themselves again if they wish. I have one more question for you, Tanya, um, that I ask everybody. And I think it's a really important thing that we do ask everybody this question. But other than what we've talked about today, how do you take care of yourself? I get my feet on the earth, spend time in nature if I can. That to me is uh, really the biggest. I take care of myself by having quiet time in the morning. I have you know, a teen and a tween at home. So it's really important for me to have that quiet time before everybody else wakes up and spend some time chanting, meditating, uh, writing as well. Um, and on the one day a week when I don't have to get up, I stay in bed for as long as I can, <laughs> even if I'm awake. <laughs> Thank you sounds so much. Perfect. Yeah, sounds great. 
Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Tanya, and sharing what you had and for writing a really beautiful book that I'm sure will go on to inspire lots and lots of people. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy to spend time with you both and just chatting and having conversations, which feel really important. I think we need more conversations like this. So, so really gratitude for both of you for holding a space like this. Uh, it's a great thing. Thank you. It's been really uh, wonderful to meet you and I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat. Hopefully we'll get to do it again. I would love that. Thank you. So thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Dawn, for your questions today. And thank you for listening. Um, please do let us know if you enjoyed what we spoke about today or if you have any feedback or anything you'd like to let us know about the content of this podcast today um, you can leave us a review on the apple podcast app and until next time thank you so much for listening and we will see you again soon thank you